I've worked a variety of retail jobs in my 39.9 out of 10 uh, years. And it makes sense. I'm about to turn 40. That's what I mean by that. Uh, so I've worked a variety of retail jobs in my 40 years. And uh, one of the things that all three of them, the three main ones, uh, have had in common is that uh, a district manager can ruin your life in a hurry. And uh, I don't know if Clayton has any stories about this, but uh, so I worked at a clothing store. I worked at Stuff Mart, which is also called Sam's Club. And I worked at a Starbucks. And all three of them, when the day that the district manager was going to come, uh, when that came up on the calendar, uh, we would do things that we never did any other time of the year. So you would clean things that typically didn't get cleaned. Uh, when I worked at Sam's Club, they said, I need to go out and clean up every cigarette butt in the parking lot. I was like, what? Like, there are hundreds of them, and do you really think a district manager is going to notice that? I, I don't think so, but maybe, maybe they did. So I went and cleaned up all the cigarette butts. So all that to say, knowing that someone was going to come made a difference in how we lived on that particular day. And as we read through the book of Revelation, one of the biggest truths that we're supposed to come away from this book understanding is that Jesus is coming again. And it's supposed to affect the way you live every day. So unlike the day that the district manager comes, you're not supposed to live in light of Christ's return like one day a week, like on Sundays, or one day a year, like on Christmas. You're supposed to live like Jesus is coming back every single day. Not just out of fear, like, oh, I don't want to be in that kind of place when Jesus returns, so I'm not going to go there. I've had people tell me that before. So it's, I'm not just living in fear that Jesus is coming back, but I am living with my eyes open to that reality and the fact that the Bible tells us Jesus is coming back so that we will live in a particular kind of way. Maybe you've never thought about that before. Like, the Bible doesn't tell us Jesus is coming again so you can create a timeline or like a train schedule of what the future is going to look like and it just kind of answers curious questions that you might have. It's nice to be able to answer those kinds of questions, but I don't think that's the reason they're in the Bible. This information is in the Bible in the first place. And the reason I think that is because the Bible tells us why we need to know these things. And so maybe you've noticed as we've studied the book of Revelation over the last several months, really since July, John wrote this with particular purposes in mind, particular goals in mind, and one of them is so that you'll live in a particular kind of way. Not just so you'll have certain details of information that you can store away <clears throat> for a rainy day. Back in August, uh, I was at Wheaton College trying to encourage students to come check out our church, and a few of them have. You know, Nathan Gibson's one of our Members, he's preaching at Orchard Valley today, so you can pray for him. He's probably preaching right at this moment. Uh, so Nathan Gibson is one of our faithful members from Wheaton, and he's brought some other friends over time. Uh, but I was talking with one student in particular, and he was asking great questions back in August, and he said, so what are you preaching through right now? And I said, I'm preaching through Revelation. And he goes, why in the world would you preach through Revelation? How would you answer that question? You've listened to a sermon series about it for the last four or five months. So how would you answer? Why should Christians study the book of Revelation? And I don't remember exactly what I told that, that young man. He was very sharp, asked good questions. He did come and visit one time. 
But I think off the top of our heads, we could come up with several reasons, right? I mean, one of the most obvious would be because it's in the Bible. Like, we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, the book of Acts says, so there's one reason. But another reason would be just because of what I just said, that John wrote this information, which was revealed to him by the work of the Holy Spirit, through a revelation from Jesus to an angel, and, and so on. We wrote it all so that you would live like a Christian, in a world where it's not popular to live like a Christian. Like, in other words, this book is supposed to fortify you. It's supposed to remind you the district manager is coming, so you've got to live a certain way, clean a certain way, sell things a certain way, and so on. So we're in Revelation 22 today, the last passage of the book of Revelation. And I believe that this passage, verses 6 through 21... Are a fitting, this passage is a fitting conclusion to this entire book. So I'm going to read this passage, and as I do, read it aloud, and you can follow along silently. You can ask yourself, in what ways is this passage a fitting conclusion? And how should this compel me to live? So follow along silently as I read aloud from Revelation 22, beginning in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This book, this passage, I should say, is a fitting conclusion in the way that it summarizes the message of the whole book, that Jesus is coming soon, so take hope. 
It's also a fitting conclusion in the fact that it's a warning to those who refuse to hear. Do you notice that, that call? Like, if you're going to listen, now is the time to listen. So it's a warning to those who would refuse to hear that you will be eternally separated from God if you refuse. And it's also an invitation to be satisfied forever. This passage calls you to let the soon return of Jesus compel you to holiness. Let the soon return of your Savior Jesus compel you to holiness. I believe this passage, we'll work through it in order today, which we've done in a few of these sermons, but uh, because of the length of so many passages we've studied in this series, a lot of times we've just kind of summarized and given some general themes. We're going to go in order today through this passage and look at five overlapping reasons to keep pursuing holiness. Five overlapping reasons to keep pursuing holiness. And by keep pursuing, I'm automatically implying that all of you are trying to pursue holiness, like you love God and you want to follow Him, but I also realize it's very possible that there's some among us today who, you know, I shouldn't assume that. Like you're just curious about Christians, you've read about them, you've seen them in weird movies and things like that, and you just want to know what Christians are, what Christians do, what Christians think. And if that's the case, we are certainly glad you're here. We hope that you'll come back. If that's not the case today, I hope all of us who are here will bring friends with us and will bring neighbors with us and coworkers and our children or our grandparents or whoever else and just keep confronting them with the Word of God. I hope you can know, Christians, that every single Sunday you bring someone with you, they're going to hear the truth here. And if that's not the case, you need to find another church where that is the case. But if that is the case, I would encourage you to be bringing folks with you. Maybe the Christmas Eve service will be a kind of a, like a low-cost way to do that with some of your friends. But uh, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't put your hope in Christ today, we would urge you to take the water of life and drink it for free. That's what this passage calls you to do. But for those of us who are followers, we would urge you to keep following Jesus and to let the soon return of Jesus drive you or compel you or propel you to holiness. The first reason you should pursue holiness is because these words come from God. These words that we've read from, I believe, the last Sunday in July through today are from God. We see that in verses 6 and 7. These words are trustworthy and true. John here is quoting from the book of Daniel as he's done dozens of other times in this book. These words are trustworthy and true. The reason they're trustworthy and true is because they are from God. John didn't just think these things up while he was bored on the island of Patmos. Maybe he was bored, but he wasn't bored once the angel showed up. And once the angel showed up, John started writing what he saw and what he heard. And that's what he tells you here, uh, that these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, which is just to say that the prophets, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so forth, have a spirit and God is the one who rules over those people. We all have a spirit. We all have a soul that will live forever. And God rules over those spirits. And the Lord, who rules over these spirits, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. That might sound familiar to you. And even the the phrase, I, John, in the beginning of verse 8 Maybe that sounds familiar to you. That's because the first eight verses of this book and the last, you know, let's just say 15, I'm rounding up uh, here a little bit. 
the, the first section of the book and the last section of the book are remarkably similar. And so that's why we handled verses 1 through 8 in chapter 1 together as one section and we're, why we're handling this last section together. We could have lumped this in with last Sunday's sermon, for instance, in chapters 21 and 22. But what this is doing is it's reminding us of what the genre is of this book. So maybe you have realized that when you're reading through the Bible, not every passage is written the same way. So for instance, next Sunday I'm going to start preaching through some psalms, the psalms of ascent, and I'll tell you next Sunday what that even means. The psalms are very different than, let's just say, the Gospel of John, where you're reading story after story of the works, the miracles of Jesus. And that's very different than, let's just say, the book of Isaiah or the book of Habakkuk. Those are very different passages. And the book of Revelation is itself its own unique genre because it's taking three different genres and combining them into one lump package. So what we see here is that this book is a letter. That's why what we have here is the end of a letter. This is kind of a common way to end a letter. All these little details here where John's just kind of reminding you of what he said. And at the end he says, like, grace to you. Like, I hope this encourages you. I hope you receive it well. Trust the Lord will encourage you through it. So this is a letter written by John to Christians about 2,000 years ago, 1,900 years ago, to help them follow God. But it's also a prophetic letter. And by that I mean it's like the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah, where he's confronting people who aren't living right. Have you ever done that? Like if you have children, you do this on a daily basis. If you have friends who have children, you wish they would do this on a daily basis. Like, you're supposed to correct people. That's what the prophets were doing. Like, you have to stop smelling the aroma of this world because it's going to kill you. Like, if you stay in a room filled with carbon monoxide, it's going to kill you. And so this is a prophetic letter in the sense that it's calling you to wake up to the scent that the world is oozing out toward you. It's also an apocalyptic letter. So it's a letter, it's a prophetic letter, it's an apocalyptic prophetic letter. And by the apocalyptic part, I just mean it's revealing, that's what the word means, it's making something clear, something that previously wasn't clear. You know, if we didn't have the book of Revelation, what would we be missing? A whole lot! We need this book. There's a lot of content here that's in this form, at least, not anywhere else in the Bible. Now, there's also a lot in this book that's elsewhere in the Bible. John's been quoting from the whole Old Testament, practically, and from other places in the New Testament as well. He was very well aware of what the other apostles had written. So this is, an, this is a letter, and what I'm saying is that these words are from God. And they're prophetic, and they're apocalyptic, but these words are trustworthy and true, and you should pursue holiness because God is the one who's telling you to do that. That's what I'm saying here from verses 6 and 7. Verse 7 clearly is Jesus speaking when he says, Behold, I am coming soon. This isn't the angel speaking anymore. This is Jesus directly speaking to John, directly speaking to us then. I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And by keeps the words, what I mean by that is, or what John means by that is, you obey everything he says to obey. And you listen to the whole 
book. It's a package. It's a unit. We shouldn't just divide this up into little sections. And I realize that's what we have to do in order to preach it in a faithful way, in a way where we're not just giving surface kind of glossy answers. We have to kind of divide it into units. But this is one unit. And so I encourage you to read it as one unit. To take, say, two to three hours. That's probably what it's going to take. And just sit down and read through it. And if you can, do it again the next day. And you're going to start seeing things that you had never seen before. When you read a huge section of the Bible like that, it's amazing. But you should pursue holiness because that's what this book tells you to do. And God's the one who wrote this book. That's the first overlapping reason to keep pursuing holiness is because these words come from God. Secondly, in verses 8 and 9, pursue holiness because the worship of God is why you exist. The worship of God is why you exist. Again, we've seen this theme throughout this book multiple times as well. But we see this particularly in verses 8 and 9 where John is dumbstruck by what he's seen and heard. He uses that phrase twice. So he falls down and worships the angel again. Like, didn't we just see this in chapter 19? Like, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? He's so amazed by what he's seeing and hearing, he can't stop but fall on his face. And the angel rightly rebukes him. And I think this should rightly rebuke us as well. Because doesn't this tell us something about our own tendencies? To kind of miss the point? To kind of have our attention drawn away from Christ to other nice things? Or sometimes other not nice things? And if John himself could be could lose focus on what he's actually seeing here, I think it's a kind of subtle reminder to us. Be really careful not to replace Jesus with something that kind of has a mirage of Jesusness about it. So John fell down, and the angel rebukes him in verse 9 and says, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, all these others who have written the Bible, and with those who keep the words of this book. So instead of worshiping me, he tells you what to do. He says, worship God. This is why you exist. And we read that back in chapter 4. For your pleasure, these things exist. So worship Christ. Worship the triune God. Pursue holiness because these words come from God, because the worship of God is why you exist. Third, verses 10 through 13. Pursue holiness because Jesus will repay what you have done. Pursue holiness because Jesus will will repay what you have done. In other words... Every moment matters. And I realize that we all take breaks and we all need to relax and we all you know, need to sleep and things like this. What I'm saying is we can't just check out and be like, eh, I'm not going to live like a Christian today. It doesn't really matter. No, every moment matters. Because Jesus will repay what you have done. Did you notice this? Jesus himself speaking again here in In verse uh, 12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Then he gives three descriptions of who he is here, the Alpha and the Omega. And again, if you're new to the Bible or never read Revelation before, no problem. What that means, Alpha and Omega are the beginning and the ending letters of the Greek alphabet. And so then he says this in a second way. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the A to the Z that way too. And the beginning and the end. So three different ways to say, I was from before all time. I'm at the end of all time. 
I'm everywhere in between. And I'm seated on my throne in this whole time. And so, in other words, if I'm telling you I'm going to come and repay you or bring my recompense, that means I haven't missed anything. That means there hasn't been a a time where I was looking the other way and and didn't quite catch that you slid that under the desk or whatever other things we do to try and keep the teacher or our parents or somebody else from seeing something. Every moment matters because Jesus will repay what you have done. So I just want to urge you to redeem the time that God has given you, to take advantage of the opportunities that he has given you toward your family, toward your friends, toward your fellow church uh, church members. Jesus will repay what you have done. Number four, pursue holiness because there's an inside and an outside. I said at the very beginning, these are five overlapping reasons. Maybe it feels like we're kind of already retreading some of the same ground over and over again. Pursue holiness because there's an inside and an outside. What in the world is that supposed to mean? Well, here in verses 14 and through 17, you see there's a clear difference between those who are God's children who are in the holy city, which is what we saw last week, that God made us to dwell with him, to live with him forever. And there are those who are outside. Not only are they not in the city, they're outside the gates. They have no point of access. The time to enter the city is gone. There's no more looking back. There's no more saying, okay, but but, but now I'll join the city. There are insiders and there are outsiders. We need to be clear about that. We need to live like that. If you're an insider, you need to live like an insider. And if you're an outsider, we want to urge you to, in the words of uh, verse 11, where he says, let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy. He's saying, you kind of need to make up your mind. If you're going to say, nope, I'm going to be an evildoer, all right, you've had your opportunity. But let those who are righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. This passage as a whole is urging you to get on the right side. That There's no fence you can sit on. There's no religiously neutral person just kind of like straddling the line, and I'll make up my mind later on. I'll figure this out. I'm kind of agnostic at this point. This passage is urging you, get on the right side. And the right side means you follow Jesus no matter what it takes. That's what we saw throughout this book, following the Lamb wherever he goes. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. If you can read the Fox's Book of Martyrs to read about people who followed the Lamb wherever he went, when it meant really horrific punishment for them for following the Lamb. What it means to follow Jesus is that you repent of your ability, your quote-unquote ability, to fulfill God's law on your own. Because it's really not an ability that any of us have. And so when we are striving to make God happy today, satisfy him, keep him at bay by the way we live, we're actually assuming things about God that are not true and assuming things about ourselves that are not true. That is that on our best day, one of the things that it assumes that on our best day, I want to make sure I say this super clearly, on our best day, you can't please God enough. And on your worst day as a Christian, you're still forgiven by him. But on your best day, it doesn't make him love you more because you've lived in a particular kind of way. So the guy that I think has shaped my thinking on this 
the most is a guy named Jerry Bridges. He's written several books, like The Transforming Grace, The Power of Godliness, a bunch of different books along these lines that are super helpful about what it looks like to follow God while realizing that you aren't the one who's driving the engine of holiness. We have holiness by grace. That's a very profound reality. But what this passage is urging you to do is, if you are an insider, live like an insider by the grace of God. That's why, as we'll see in a minute, this passage ends with, may the grace of the Lord be with you all. Because you absolutely need the Lord in order to please him. You can't do it in your own strength. But did you see in verse 15, there are different kinds of people who are outsiders. Outside, outside the city, those who are not part of the Lord's place with the Lord, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And I'm looking out at a room of people and all of us could probably say, yeah, I kind of fit that category. And maybe some of us would say, I check a lot of those boxes. Maybe some of you would say, I actually don't check any of those boxes, so that means God has to give me salvation. No, that would be a false conclusion. This is a representative list, and I think we could all say, oh yeah, I have sinned. I have practiced falsehood. I've lied, in other words. It's one example. What I'm saying is, even if this representative list that the Lord gives us here, you can check, you can say, oh, actually, none of those apply to me. That doesn't mean that God has to give you salvation then because you've kept all the law. No, the whole Bible is clear in telling you you have not kept the whole law. The only person who ever has was Jesus. And that's why you need him to clear the record for you, so to speak, by putting your trust in his performance rather than in your own. Pursue holiness because there's an inside and an outside. I've been listening to an audiobook recently by a pastor in Florida, Southern Baptist pastor. named name is Dean and Sarah. When I first heard his name, it sounded like someone was saying it was written by Dean and Sarah, but it's, his last name is I-N-S-E-R-R-A. So Dean and Sarah called The Unsaved Christian. What in the world would a book called The Unsaved Christian be about? It would be about those who grow up in the church and assume, I'm a Christian because I've been in church my whole life. Or I'm a Christian because I've been baptized. Or I'm a Christian because I'm a member of Brainerd Avenue Baptist Church. And you could go on and on down the list. But you have this category of people called the unsaved Christian. And what I want to urge you to do is really do a deep dive on your own heart. What am I trusting in today for my salvation? Is it because I prayed a particular prayer, like the prayer on the back of a little gospel booklet that kind of tells you the right words to pray, quote-unquote? Or is it because I, I have a clear memory of kneeling next to my parents' bed? That's good. doesn't mean you're a Christian. We can easily deceive ourselves. We can be easily deceived by others. So I just simply want to urge you to let nothing, let nothing get in the way of following Jesus to the end, including a fuzzy memory you have or a clear memory you have of praying a prayer, of walking an aisle, of being baptized. 
and assuming that you're okay with God because of that. Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. There are multiple places in this book that use this kind of language, and what it means is you have been purified by the blood of Christ. We sing of this. I think it's in uh, Jesus Paid It All. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. That sounds kind of weird that your garments would be white because of blood. It should be red. And it's saying, no, Jesus is the one who purifies your heart, who cleanses you. And that's what this is referring to. Blessed are those who wash their robes. What's the result of that? What's the result of being made new by the blood of the Lamb? You may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by the gates. You'll live forever with the Lord in his place as we were intended to do. So pursue holiness because these words come from God. Pursue holiness because the worship of God is why you exist. Pursue holiness because Jesus will repay what you have done. Pursue holiness because there's an inside and an outside. And finally, pursue holiness because how you respond to God's word determines everything. This is verses 18 through 21. And again, like I said, there's some overlap here. How you respond to God's word determines everything. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. How do we add to God's word? False teaching does this. Assuming that there's some way you can please God that the Bible doesn't say. False teaching also does this by taking away the word of God. You don't have to obey that. And that was the first lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. You don't have to obey that. Come on, get with the program. How you respond to God's word determines everything. You want to have a share in the tree of life. We just saw that in verse 14. You want to be in the holy city, which is described in this book, verse 19 says. And so how you respond to this is going to be very important. How you respond today, how you respond the rest of your life is very important. And maybe following Jesus and responding to God's word appropriately according to the book of Revelation is going to mean that you're single the rest of your life. So be it. Maybe following the Lamb wherever he goes means that you are going to work what many people might call a dead-end job, like pushing carts at a grocery store, the rest of your life. Because, and I'm not saying that's a terrible job, actually, but you're going to have to work that kind of a job because you lost your job because you wouldn't fill in the blank for your employer as a way of being faithful to the Lamb. But I want to urge you to be careful how you respond to God's word. And particularly how you respond to the book of Revelation. I think that our lives would all be changed in a pretty profound way if we read Revelation a lot. I know there's some kind of weird things like locusts and so forth in this book that are really hard to kind of identify what those mean. You can go back and listen to those sermons where I preach those or you can skip those and just say, I still don't know exactly know what those locusts mean, but I do know this book tells me that Jesus is coming soon, and I should pursue holiness no matter what. 
And if that's what you come away with, I think that's a really good thing to come away with. So how should you respond to this? Or in other words, what is this holiness that we're talking about? I'm saying you should pursue holiness. You should keep pursuing holiness because Jesus is coming soon. One of the ways you should respond is what the author of Hebrews tells you to do. And that is, keep going to church. When he refers in the Hebrews chapter 10 to as you see the day approaching, he means the day that when Jesus returns. And what's he tell you to do in light of the day approaching? Go to church. So, you all get a 100% on the test today. You are here. For those of you listening, I hope you're somewhere else right now. <laughs> but uh, those who are listening online is what I mean. Being in church is more than feeling good about yourself, feeling like you kept your weekly routine, seeing friends, all these kinds of things. Those are all good. I told my children yesterday in the car, you go to church every single Sunday, and maybe you're going to forget most of what you hear most Sundays, but the weekly routine sinks in, and it forms you, it shapes you, it makes you people who love the things of God, even though, like I said, 10 years from now, none of you are going to remember a single thing about this sermon. But being here this week and a thousand other weeks like it shapes you into a person who will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So keep going to church. Take the Lord's Supper. If you are someone who follows the Lamb and you've proven that by being baptized and Linking arms, we call it church membership typically, but you link arms with other people who are following the Lamb wherever He goes. That's what you should do, is take the Lord's Supper. Because that's what Paul tells you in 1 Corinthians 11 when he says, as often as you do this, it reminds you of the day that's coming, of Jesus' return. We do this until He returns. We proclaim His death until He comes. Kill sin. That's another way to pursue holiness. And maybe you have like a particular way in your life where you feel like, yeah, that's, that's a weak point for me. Would you talk to one of us, to a fellow Christian here, a fellow pilgrim on the way, and ask for help about that particular sin struggle so that you can kill it? I would also urge you to live the life of faith, which often feels weird and sounds weird. I want to read these words from John Owen. He was a theologian who lived 400 years ago. Our son Andrew, his middle name is Owen, in honor of John Owen. He's a great theologian. Here's what John Owen says. With revelation sounding words here. Let us live in the constant contemplation of the glory of Christ. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit. It's because he wrote 400 years ago. So basically what he said was, by thinking about Christ a lot, you'll live better. He says, virtue will proceed from him, from the person who thinks about Christ. To renew a right spirit within us and to cause us to abound in all duties of obedience. You'll obey better if you think about Christ a lot. This is what I like about this quote, though. This is why I chose to read it. This way of producing these effects, this way, thinking about Christ so that I'll live the Christian life, will not reveal... Uh, I'm sorry, this way of producing these effects, flesh and blood will not reveal. In other words, other people don't understand this. They don't see the connection between thinking about Christ and living a holy life. He says, it looks like washing in the Jordan to cure leprosy. 
That's a beautiful biblical picture. Like, you're telling me that in order to get rid of this skin disease, I go down into dirty water and I'm going to come out clean? Go read 2 Kings. So, thinking about Christ will produce holy living. It's not going to make sense to people on the outside, but the life of faith is a mystery only unto them in whom it is. All that to say, John Owen would tell you 400 years ago, live the life of faith. Even though flesh and blood will not understand it. Other people are going to look at you and be like, I'm sorry, you did what on Sunday morning? You could have done so much more with your time. I'm sorry, you're raising your children to do what? To follow the Lamb? Why in the world do you think that makes sense in a world like this? Have you not opened your eyes? But Christian, I want to urge you to be of good courage. We worship the God of hope. We worship the Lamb who wins. I said very early on in this series, I believe the first or second sermon, if you were going to summarize this book in two words, the book of Revelation, you would be the words, God wins. And you win with him. That's one of the surprises of this book, is that the king reigns, and he reigns forever. And we saw at the end of our last passage, and you reign with him. So be of good courage, and also read good books that help you follow Jesus. And one of the ways you can do that today is there's a stack of books. Many of them are already taken, which is great, because they're there on purpose. They are free. They were given to us free, so we are giving them away for free. They're called Come, Lord Jesus by John Piper. And if there's one left when you see it, take it. If you read it and you don't like it, bring it back and let somebody else take it. And if you read it and you do like it, bring it back and let somebody else take it. (laughs) There's that. But pursue holiness because Jesus is coming again soon. Just like the district manager, you want the store to look nice when the district manager shows up. So you do things a certain way. Jesus is coming, so let the soon return of Jesus compel you to walk in his ways, to walk in holiness. Let's close in prayer. Lord, would you use these words that you have told us are trustworthy and true? Would you use them to make us people who are eager to follow you, even though it's painful, even though some of us in the days or years or decades to come may suffer in ways that we cannot comprehend right now because we follow the Lamb, because we believe that we are washed white as snow in the blood of the Lamb. So would you fortify us now while we're not suffering in terribly profound ways right now. While, as far as we can tell, no one in this room is on the verge of losing their life for their faith, or maybe even losing their job for their faith. Maybe there is. But Lord, may we be compelled and strengthened and be of good courage because Jesus will soon come. And we do pray with the words of John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.